and welcome back to another episode of the Scranton Talks podcast. I'm so glad you can join us again for another episode. We are rounding out our first season towards the end of 2021. And if you are an aspiring filmmaker, do you love film? Are you new to filmmaking? Then Scranton Talks is the podcast for you. It is full of inspirational, informative, and fun talks with other filmmakers about their projects and their journeys. Scranton Talks is part of the Independent Film Creative Hub, based in Scranton, Pennsylvania. Hosts Luce Cabrales and myself, Desiree Zielinski, founded the Independent Film Creative Hub, which is geared to help filmmakers reach their potential in becoming successful creative artists. And thank you so much for sticking with us on this podcast. We have some great filmmaker interviews coming up. But I'm especially excited for this one because we got a chance to chat with local filmmaker, cinematographer, key grip, Zach Wilcox. Uh, this episode was done five days before Christmas, so we had some fun if you were on the live Facebook event uh, back in December. We were all dressed up for Christmas, so that was pretty fun. But a little bit about Zach. Zach Wilcox is an upstate New York born and raised filmmaker who brings the sensibilities of small town life into his filmmaking. After an extensive career as a crew member on countless indie features, commercials, television, and music videos, he has honed in skills in the technical aspects of streamlined indie filmmaking. His first feature film as writer, director, and producer, Hunting Lands, is a slow burn suspense drama that uses very little in the way of dialogue and lets the imagery of the snowy north tell the tale. A career in filmmaking as a director, cinematographer, gaffer, key grip, location, sound mixer, and producer has made for an interesting background of expertise. A love of the process and the storytelling of motion picture is a strong driving factor in his life. And Luce and I were so glad to talk with Zach back in December. And he had some very interesting and a very impressive demo reel of work that he has been doing. So. Sit back and relax and enjoy this episode as we chat with Zach Wilcox. Well, Zach, um, I'm going to have Desiree start the conversation. Uh, we're really, really excited that you're here with us. And uh, let, let's just uh, dive in. All right. Yeah, that, that reel was so great. And I mean, even the trailer for Hunting Lands, which we'll get to in a minute, that looked amazing. We've had some time to watch it. Um, so first question we have here is like, let's talk about with how did you get started into filmmaking? What was your starting point and how did you get into filmmaking? It's kind of a weird story, actually. I, I started out, uh, I went to school for audio first. So for recording arts and well, I went to regular college, then I went to a school for recording arts. And then out of that, I interned at some studios that all kind of went out of business in different amazing fashions because uh, like home recording became the thing right after I got done with it. So <laughs> yeah. I, had a, I had a couple of friends and who eventually became my roommates that worked in film and they kind of dragged me into it. I literally always kind of felt when I was younger that it wasn't a thing that you could do. You know, it didn't seem like a, like music. We had recording studios near me, you know, where I grew up. I had bands that, you know, we, we had been to studios. So it looked like a job that you could do. Yeah. But, uh, film seemed kind of, I loved movies. I loved to shoot things. I had fun with VHSC camera and stuff like that, but just didn't seem uh, attainable. So then I started doing sound for films first okay. and really kind of fell in love with lighting and everything that it takes to make a film and 
after you get beat down by it enough, I guess you get like Stockholm syndrome into deciding that you're going to do it for the rest of your life. <laughs> well, well, that's good because, you know, that that's the thing about being creative is that sometimes we feel that, you know, like, how, how do I even get started? You know, how do I do this? And mm -hmm. is this even something that can support me? You know, um, when I, you know, we all think about what we want to do when we grow up, right? And, you know, sometimes some people want to go for the family uh, straight up or just for the career. And when you're a creative, it's very hard because if you, if you want both, then how, how do you support yourself as an artist, right? Uh, and you basically touched that uh, in, a, in a very um, personal way, you know, that uh, how do I do this? A lot of people and a lot of filmmakers are, uh, they think that it's only, you know, you're either a director, you're a producer or a big star, right? Yeah. But we forget about the, uh, uh, basically, you know, all the crew that makes this film. There are a lot of, yeah, there are a lot of jobs on a, on a film that a lot of people don't realize. Right. So, so maybe talk to us about that. You say you got into audio, you got into lighting. Um, let's start there and then we'll move on to, uh, you know, because I know you produce and direct some films. So let's start where you, where you really got started. Um, well, I mean, production assistants usually where most people get started, uh, which is a job I have never done, sadly. Um, I kind of like specialized and owned gear and understood audio enough to, to work my way in um, as a sound mixer and, and like a boom op. And then coming up from there, making friends with people into lighting, came out, did a, you know, like a couple of lighting jobs, things like that, and really kind of put my mind around what the dynamic was for lighting. And the reason why I enjoyed it was because that it's, there's, there's things that you see that are beautiful and you're like, I want to execute that. Then you have to figure out what those sources were, where they came from, how you, how you kind of like actually feather contrast and uh, really kind of stack an image and, and make something that looks kind of like what you were thinking when you started. So it's, it's a skill that you you can build. And then once I realized that, I, I realized that it was the sort of thing where you can actually kind of, you know, learn the shape and ratio. And right. you, yeah. once, once you can make that work, then you, then you can kind of transition through and get hired for that. But the thing is, is that I feel like locally here, most of the filmmakers that I've met end up being like one man or three man band type things, or, you know, like it's, for, for you guys, I know you did, I, I saw your uh, film from last year's Mystery Box and like that was, you know, you're out, you're walking around town, it's two people, you're you're getting it done, you know? So, completely ad-libbed, completely improvised. <laughs> but you see what I'm talking about where it's yeah. like, okay, so you're not working with a 60-man crew trying to get out there and like there's not a makeup artist coming up and splashing in the face, there's no production designer to do it, there's no, you know, do you, do you, you are everything, so. Right. Some of the things are going to slip through the cracks and that ends up being the thing where when I try to tell people here that that have only seen this version of it, that there's this gigantic version that they know of, but it seems superfluous to them because it's like, well, I can manage to make all this with this. And it's like, well, well once you start to specialize, you actually like as the director, as the cinematographer, which for the two of you, if you had a bunch of people to do all of the other stuff, you would have so much space to concentrate all of your energy towards the specifics of it and then uh you know that definitely that definitely helps out with the feature film for a short film having some fun it's like yeah go out and get it done but 
Right. Think, and um, yeah. it, it, like you said, it's all about experience, getting that and maybe spe specializing in something specific uh, or maybe not. Maybe, you know, everything now for you, um, do you consider yourself more of a technical, um, you know, guy or more of the creative or a little bit of both? I guess it, I guess it's got to be a little bit of both. I mean, I understand the instruments that it takes to make make the whole thing work. And uh, with lighting, it's definitely like it's changed leaps and bounds since like my initial intro into the into the film world. HD was kind of the new thing. So we were shooting on HD cameras. When I first started doing sound, we were still rolling to DAT tape. And, you know, we didn't we all of the digital world was it was there, but it wasn't compact. It wasn't robust enough to be able to work off from it yet. Um, so seeing that change and then lighting after I got into that, like we were on tungsten and HMI and then a little bit of fluorescent tubes. And now it's like, it's the, the kind of lion's share of it's now LED. And that was something to get used to, especially because LED was not nearly a competitor when it right. first started to grow. So then it became this thing of like, you, you hardly want to get into it. And still, like, even the more higher-powered LED lights don't have the throw that all of the HMIs had. And it's, I mean, it's hard, It's kind of hard to get to that point. You literally lightning in a bottle for one, and then the other one is, you know, a chip on a board. So, but there, there is, there is kind of something magical to living through this time, I guess, where everything's changing so quickly. And I think that that ends up being, like, the technical marvel for me is what I can get done versus what I used to have to do to get things done. Yeah. and like that yeah. equivalency so it's technical but it's the art form of like you're trying to paint with light with sound you're trying to get it as clean as possible it's like that's definitely more technical sound mixer is not a creative job it's that's a very clinical job you're in there to get the best possible base for someone else to do a creative job with it lighting you're in there to get the best possible base for the creativity to continue but if you don't put it into the negative it's not there right. so it's like and, and it's very important, um, and like you say, you know, like you think technology has helped you with that. Um, I know there's still all the fundamentals of lighting and, you know, like a lot of, you know, films don't even need that much lighting. They do a lot of natural light, but you still have to have the eye for it, right? Uh, so how do, you, um, how do you encounter that as you were learning how to do this? And because um, I'm, I'm sure you're still learning just how technology helped you with that, but also you had the eye for it, right? So maybe a little bit of that, how you felt when you were doing that. Yeah, I mean, I think the learning part is definitely like there's always room to screw it up. And that's where you're that's where you're going to do your learning now. Because there's not a whole lot of people that can come to you and be like, here's exactly what has to happen. I mean, there are a few rules that I try to follow and that I tell other people to follow. Yeah. And those will get you started. You know, they'll get you to the base of what you want to do. Everything after that is kind of that learning curve of like you're going for something drastic and dramatic looking and it's got to be like you know you, you want your waveform to be peaks and valleys and you want you know spread out as much of the color as possible and then other versions of it are like the commercials that we showed at the beginning where it's like it's it's a it's not flat but it's but it's it's relatively you know on the higher side of it's bright it's white it's clean Right, because right, right, right. no company, well, I mean, some of the companies definitely want to present it to you in a very dark manner. But, you know, when they're trying to sell you glue, they're just like, oh, no, here's a really, you know, picture book looking version of a guy who's gluing a, a train conductor's head back on. You know, like it's 
So there's a different model for everything that you're going to work for. And there's definitely an art that goes into understanding how that's done and the technology making leaps forward. Um, not quite as fast as I'd like it to. I, I w if we could get to the point where everything hovers, that would be so great. I'm tired of carrying yes. stuff. <laughs> same here, same here. You can see yeah. those. Now, um, I'm going to probably show those again uh, for people that didn't um, uh, get here earlier. But uh, it, it's very interesting what, what, you, what you're saying about um, a lot of this, this lighting and even sound and just how you present a project is is to you know sometimes it's to sell someone something right or to have someone have a specific emotion yeah. uh so i think um the way you touch that you know certain lighting certain lenses uh certain ways of doing will create a specific emotion that people will feel um and um i'll, I'll again i'll show that at the end but uh, just the bright colors you know like you want to make maybe someone feel happy how do you um learn about that as well right so now you know the technical aspect of it and it just how um when you when you get a client and they tell you this is what i want right what was your process of um i guess what i'm trying to say what's your creative process right let's say i come to you with a project i mean well it depends on what the project is if it's commercial then most likely you already have brand colors you already have a palette that you're going to work with so it's basically looking into how do I get that palette and what version of my lighting will make that the most vibrant? So I'm either trying to like, unless you're, you know, like a, a backpacker company that sells wool socks and then I have to make everything as earth tone as possible and relatively desaturated. And then, but it's like each thing will come with its own color palette, its own design. And so you work from there as far as like a film structure, like if you were to try to make a short or a feature film or uh, music video, which I have mentioned many times, I'm not a huge fan of, uh, not to you guys, but to everyone who's ever asked me. Uh, <laughs> so like the, the basic idea behind the feature film would be that, you know, like you give me examples, we want to execute your vision first. So the director comes first. So if I'm a cinematographer for you, I would want to execute your vision or you hired me because you've seen something I've already done that does exactly what you want. And I'll try to talk you out of copying it directly and we'll figure out a way to you know, translate your voice into that, you know, steal a little bit of the look, you know, uh, mm -hmm. because, and stealing is obviously flattering to the filmmaker that you stole it from, unless you uh, do better than they did, I think is the only qualifier for that one. You right, know, there's, there's, there's no original idea. It's just how you actually present it, you know, how you actually uh, get the, get the job done. But uh, so that, that brings us into your commercial work. And then Desiree will touch a little bit of your independent film, because I know you have, um, you have a wide array of uh, experience. Uh, so let's talk about the, the, I guess we showed three of them, but you have an extensive collection of uh, work that you've done uh, uh, commercially, and you've done the camera work, correct? Uh, yeah, I've actually Oddly enough, I've never directed a commercial. Okay. Um, Not, yet. Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> I've, I've, shot, I've shot many as uh, director of photography. Um, I've done quite a few as, as a sound uh, mixer. Um, actually, oddly enough, during the writer's strike um, in LA, the, geez, I want to say middle of 2009 maybe somewhere in there i was an art i was art director on a oil of the lake commercial i had to go around and buy like three thousand 
fake plastic oranges from every single uh, like <laughs> hobby store near us, and then make a bunch of orange trees for a for a set because it, currently oranges weren't in season, so we couldn't get that. So it's like, um, but yeah, I don't even remember how I got that job. I think it was like a friend of a friend who was like here's an art job take it and then by the time I got there I was like oh so I'm actually like I'm in charge of this and there's no production designer and there's yeah it turns into its own thing but so I've done a little bit of everything in the commercial world and and what was the main difference so so that's that's a good point I mean now um what was the main difference between those two um tasks that you had one where you had to take care of everything in the sense of uh, uh the looks of it versus uh, the technical part of it did you like it uh, basically <laughs> the yeah i guess the production designer part i kind of looked at as like this isn't something that i would want to do forever because oddly enough it's just it is it is a it is a harder job okay. because there's because there's so much less of a structure for it so it's not as structured as like when you're when you're working as a director of photography, it's very structured. The equipment is very structured. You know what you're going to get for what you're trying to do. And there's a certain rental list. So it's like, is it Dolly? Is it Steadicam? Is it going to be, you know, like um, gimbal came around and now we, you know, that ends up in the mix as well. Is it a car mount? There's just a, there's a bunch of different ways to execute it, but it all has specified equipment versus production designer where they're like we want orange trees and i'm like that, that it's it's winter and even in los angeles winter still means no orange trees so you know then it turns into okay we'll we'll make orange trees with monofilament and and a bunch of fake plastic oranges and then oddly enough the leaves aren't on the orange trees so then it was like trying to find the right breed of plastic tree that looked like orange leaves and then ripping all of those off and gluing them to like a, a currently dormant you know like lemon tree um and what was the outcome of that project at the end i mean the lady looked really nice in the bathtub full of milk uh <laughs> pulling oranges off from an orange tree that's somehow growing in her bathtub i don't i don't know so you succeeded it's, yeah, they're always weird. I think that one ran for a solid like two years after that too. I kept seeing it like at the airport. I would see it on on screen and be like, "Oh, they're really getting their money's worth," because they did it as fully non-union contract, so they didn't have to pay anyone. Like director, the person who wrote the commercial, they didn't have to pay them many residuals, and the actors were all non-union as well. Right. So for them, it was like, "Here's a great buy," because normally they have to pay royalties right. to everyone who created the thing. And then this is a run where they don't. So it ran longer than most commercials that I that I've worked on. Um, so how how do you feel when you uh, saw that? I mean, I know that in the beginning we all get excited about our work being seen places, uh, and then as you do more and do more, it just becomes you know like normal. But uh, what is the the main difference between then and now? Like, I mean, do you still get excited about seeing some of your work? And we're gonna touch on that a little bit uh, because Zach just worked on a Hallmark movie. So uh, we have, you know, uh, we have uh, some questions uh, for you. Uh, but if you can answer that question, if, if it's possible. I, you know, I can give a little bit of a, like a, a kind of an odd story. When we were shooting Hunting Lands, we were in Northern Michigan and the director who, well, one of the directors, there's two directors for the Gorilla Goo commercials. Um, and I'd worked with their company a bunch before that, but I, I, I ran into a point where 
one of the directors from that film sent in a casting tape for the lead in Hunting Lands. And we watched it and we were like, okay, well, this is going to be weird, but like he's, he's getting the role. So the lead in the film is actually the director from all that I've worked with forever. And I actually was the gaffer on his, on his first feature film. So then he's the lead in my first feature film. And we're sitting at the hotel while shooting it. And the commercials that we had shot three months before that are playing on the TV in the hotel. Like every time we're sitting there, <laughs> like, you know, drinking and playing poker and trying to unwind after a week of wandering the woods in the cold. So it was just like, it was kind of surreal where that's the moment where you're like, okay, I mean, we've sort of made it, I guess. Like we're, at least people are seeing our stuff. They're seeing, they're seeing that. And then you're working on this film and you're like, man, I hope people get to see this too. And yeah, I feel like a, a large enough amount did, I guess, to make me sort of happy. So. And um, yeah. Hunting yeah. Lands, um, I know uh, Desiree had a few questions about that because that's your feature film, correct? Yes. Yeah, it's it's your directorial debut is from what we, we heard for, for Hunting Lands. But also if you wanted to get into like you're getting away from the commercial side of your work, if you want to talk about your independent film work, including Hunting Lands and maybe get into that you are in the process of getting it distributed on Amazon and how that works as well. Uh, I mean, I, I believe it was up for, it was on Amazon for about two years. It's down off from Amazon right now because of a lawsuit. And that was to get our, to get our film back turned into like, this is a completely separate nightmare. I feel like this is not entirely the question that you, you want answered, but I'm doing it. Um, it's important to know. Whatever you like, whatever you like. But it's whatever up to you, you how you want to. So we did while the festival you do, circuit. While you do that, I'm going to charge my phone before it dies on us. Go ahead. All right. Go ahead. <laughs> sure. Yeah, go ahead. So we did, we did the festival circuit and basically everybody told us when we were coming out with the film that it was going to be like, you were going to look at that kind of ratio of like, you'll probably get into two or three festivals. Mm -hmm. And it got into upwards of 20 some odd festivals wow. and it did, it, it did surprisingly well. And then we, you know, you're at festivals, so you've got distributors there that are looking to buy the film. And the, unfortunately the, the smoothest talking of the distributors happened to be kind of the worst thing to happen to the film because they basically took it and put it on, you know, put it, put it on Amazon, Amazon, iTunes, um, direct TV now. Don't mind uh, me. Don't mind me. Just put it on, put it on everywhere they, they could sell it to basically. Oh. They, they got it out there um, and they never paid the EP a dime. Like the executive producer didn't get any cash out of the deal, uh, and then it then it just turned into this giant nightmare. Um, so I mean, I guess like the excitement level goes to a thing, and then it and then it turns into, and then it turns into whatever it turns into. So now, my assumption I actually haven't I got I need to talk to him about it, but that we have the rights back for the film, but now it's a thing of like how do you get another distribution company to take it after someone else already did the the main release and made all of the money that it was going to make off from its first release. Um, so I, I guess it's holding pattern, you know, and you wait and see, or I do something next and it makes it worth money again because people might look for it. So is this the, the, the first time you've experienced this? I mean, I've witnessed it plenty of times and definitely on other films that I've been crew on where I saw people get ripped off. And it is kind of the like cliche of the film business of like, 
it's very hard to get a film sold for distribution and it's very easy for a distributor to not pay you any money. So that's the only bummer about it. Now I feel like there are avenues where if you can make a film that's lean and mean enough, that's cheap enough, there are, there are places that you can go to to put it up for distribution yourself. But then you're responsible for all the marketing yourself as well. So unless you can figure out a way to kind of grassroots explode it into some kind of you know viral video marketing system, um, which I don't know. I don't have my finger on the pulse of that entirely, but that might actually be a question for Tony. He's working enough in the TikToks to tell us. Oh, we will. Uh, we'll ask Tony. Uh, I think he's here somewhere. Uh, we have a lot, uh, by the way, a lot of questions here or a lot of comments. So, yeah, you know, it wasn't just Tony watching. You know, we have There's a bunch of it's a bunch of people just yelling "boo" from their seats. <laughs> no. Just a few, but that's you know, it's not too bad. <laughs> but um, okay, perfect. So let's talk. We talked a little bit about that, but let's just talk about how you um. You know, when, when you made the movie, Hunting Land, I mean, it's, it's, to be honest, I mean, the trailer looks wonderful and it looks very well yeah. shot. Um, mm -hmm. I'm sure you directed the film, so I want to make sure that we cover everything. Um, and I know you were also the director of photography. And, um, yeah. Oh, you weren't. Okay. Well, yeah. then let's start yeah. there. Let's start there. <laughs> How do you um, tell us about the film? How about that? So uh, a friend of mine, Edwin Stevens, is the director of photography on the film. And I had worked for him a bunch as for doing lighting for him okay. um, on various projects that he had. Joe Rafa, who's in the film that kind of plays the antagonist, um, was also one of the directors that I had worked for a bunch. And our, so our cast was two directors that I, I had worked for in different facets. So he's actually got a few short films and a couple of feature films on... Uh, I think they're available on Amazon as well. I know the short films are. Um, so yeah, they, they've got that going. And then oddly enough, Edwin shot the next feature that I produced after Hunting Lands, which is Film Fest, which you can go watch right now if you want to pay for it. It's on uh, it's on Amazon. It's on iTunes. I think oh, okay. it's just everywhere where you can get it. We'll add some of the links uh, on the comments after. Yeah, and like that one is directed by Marshall, who's the lead in the movie. So Marshall Cook's the lead in Hunting Lands, but he's the director for Film Fest. And Edwin, who's the director of photography, shot that as well. Um, Corey Pike's on the list, who's the who basically was first AC on the film for us on Hunting Lands and helped produce it. And then he also is a producer on uh, Film Fest. Um, Josh Amato, this is a really easy crew to get through because it's very small. Uh, <laughs> Josh Amato uh, was fellow producer on the project and uh, story by credit. He helped me while I was writing it. We we kind of went through. He helped me uh, build it out to development to get it like into the into into fighting shape for for making the film out of it. Uh, Brooke Malkins, who's like one of my, one of my besties, uh, she's she's great. And she was wardrobe and makeup because that's what she does professionally. Um, but I've written a few projects with her as well. And she's fantastic. And one day we'll make an amazing director in her own. Um, yeah. And then, geez, I think I'm, I'm like, see now I'm like, oh, it's a small crew. I mean, it's Mike Ohini was our sound man who is amazing, Oscar winning Mike Ohini. Um, he was the, I think he was, audio utility or boom operator on whiplash so oh, that's, which, that's which, an amazing which, movie. Yeah. 
which one for sound, but he's also a fantastic mixer. And I kind of came up through the film business with him. Um, love him to death. Um, he actually got us a friend of his to cover for him for the first weeks was Phil Jackson. And then I'm trying to remember what Caleb's last name is. So then our art director, Caleb was also an actor in the film as, uh, Carl, who's like the main character's best friend. And, um, yeah, so it goes from there. Our friend, uh, Nicole came out from LA to play a scene in the, in the film and was nice enough to like be scantily clad in the scene. Not like too bad, but definitely, definitely a fun, fun, uh, she was the main character, was right? Yeah. yeah, it's right. just all great. Yeah, so uh, so basically, Joe Rafa and Marshall Cook are kind of the two leads throughout, and uh, uh, Marshall's by himself for a lot of screen time. So I think it makes it twenty eight minutes or something like that without a word of dialogue. So oh. it's. I don't know. It's just an interesting. It's an interesting film to try to attack because it was one of those ones where a lot of people would have kind of thrown it aside. And I, I, I feel really grateful that everyone came on board, and especially like Edwin, willing to not only be the executive producer but come out and shoot it for me, knowing that like we were going out there with no lighting team to work for him, and that it would be me out there in the woods with him, like you know, <laughs> hauling hauling lights around and uh, and lighting each scene and. I mean, we did it quickly. It's a it's a beautiful film, but it's one of the few points where, you know, the DP and the gaffer, the gaffer director, the DP executive producer, the sound man slash producer, the you know, like you you get into the the well, not only that, but then you think about it, like Corey Pike coming on to help us with camera just to be a first AC. And then by the time he's done, we're giving the producer credit because he's running around and grabbing stuff for us and like, you know, making phone calls and trying to help us figure out the days um, after we had, you know, too much, too much sun for a day and all our snow would melt. And we'd have to try, try to figure out how we were going to rebuild off from that. Fortunately, that didn't happen often. It rained a little bit the one day, but it didn't take away too much of the snowpack. Um, but yeah, just a fantastic crew, fantastic people, and uh, and couldn't have done it without them. So how, um, do, how do you get all these people to trust you, right? Like you said, I don't know how they, you know, trusted me going here. Like, how do you build that relationship uh, here? I mean, I'm all about, you know, building relationships, not burning bridges, making sure yeah. you understand each and everyone's perspective uh, when it comes to a project. Uh, so how do you um, go about that? I'm assuming, I don't know. I'm assuming some of them are <laughs> friends that will do anything for you, correct? I mean, the, the, uh, there are a few of them that are definitely like close friends who I still would say it's not like a system of trust. It's more of a system of like we're going to get this done, and creatively, if we butt heads, we'll we'll keep we'll work something out. It's so so then it ends up being a system of compromise more than it's just like trust me and do what I say because that's. It happens, but it's not. It shouldn't be the operating procedure overall. Right. And yeah. I'm assuming that um, you know, at this point, you're like, yes, you are friends with some of them, but there's also that professionalism that has to happen because you're making something that um, you know everyone's relying on, everyone that's working on. Yeah, I mean, you you, you basically you, when directing, you're helming the ship, but 
if you can't trust your crew, I mean, you can't be, you literally can't be everywhere. Like it's impossible for you to be all over the place, making sure that everything's getting done. So I don't think it's as much getting them to trust you as it's you trusting, trusting them. And then that's, that's kind of the, that's the secret sauce. That's the magic. Because once you trust them, it doesn't really matter if they trust you or not. Like they're hired to be there to do, you know, to, to to make what you want action. Um, But for, for you to let go, you have to have a certain amount of trust of, of the other, you know, members of the crew that you're not going to be able to interact with constantly. So um, I have seen a few directors in my years who, tried to micromanage, but it only ended up driving them and everyone they talked to crazy. So it's like, um, well, not necessarily crazy, but uh, annoyed. Oh, <laughs> I think, understandable. <laughs> so, so yeah, I, I think yes. when you're looking at it, it's all about collaboration. So like, that's the thing with, uh, I mean, you, Luce, you've seen a bunch of the stuff that Tony and I have scrambled together yes, and it's like, yes. <laughs> that's, that's a collaborative relationship. On occasion, I'll have to holler at him about something like that. This was the the mystery box this year is the is the one where it's like he was yeah. he was shooting it, and and there was like there's very very nice like here's here's our setup, but I I built a rigid enough system that we were starting from that I I knew exactly what it was going to be just from the script. And he's reading a seven page script. So when he finally saw the final cut and sees that it's like three minutes and I'm like, literally everything that's in the descriptions, there's dialogue over top of it. So it condenses the script in half. Right. right. Um, but it ends up being, I mean, it's a, it's a fun little short film and it's like, you know, we can't wait to see it. We can't wait to show everyone yeah. at the mystery box. Uh, we won't spoil it now because uh, we want people to go, but I uh, will get into that. Uh, that's not as important as you. Uh, so um, question. Okay. Sugar Plum Twist. Talk to us about that. That is the new Hallmark movie that is playing pretty much any night. So you t- you tell us what you how you you know how you got started on that one and what you worked on. That one's actually a local hire from here. So that was Michael Bellardi who yes. called me up because they were they were looking for a key grip. He was first AC for a camera, and uh, so he kind of was like, "Hey, you know, come out and do this. It'll be a fun time." It was in Connecticut, you know. Um, so I took the job. I mean, it's it's always kind of stressful walking into, you know, uh, a a bigger crew because then it's a lot of people that you have to get to know and everything. And fortunately, like uh, Michael Moose is a you know is is a is a he's a great guy because he kind of eases the eases that tension he goes through he's the introduction to everybody who's already there because they had shot for like two days before i became available um but as far as the show goes i mean it was it was it was a good show it's plenty of equipment that i haven't really gotten to play around with since leaving los angeles you know so i come here and then like those guy singer commercials were kind of the biggest right. thing that I had been on here and everything else i was you know flying to atlanta to work on so it was nice to see the New York crews and see, and there's not as much of a difference in work uh, as I thought there would be. I, I thought that there would be kind of a, a noticeable difference in behavior. Right. And that was going to be my, my next question. Just that uh, your um, transition between, um, because you're yeah. originally from New York um, and then you moved to LA uh, to do work. And then 
now you're back in Scranton, this area, doing stuff in New York, Connecticut. What is um, what's the main difference? You know, like how do you like it? Like, uh, what can you uh, what pointers can you give someone that's doing that, or maybe is looking into going, you know, to the bigger cities and work? I mean, I th I think they're all very specific markets of what they make, and like. I definitely feel like independent film has kind of died in Los Angeles. It's just not, it's way above the affordability level there. Like shooting a film there is very expensive. And that's why, you know, my first film, it's like everyone came from Los Angeles, but went to Northern Michigan, obviously like we could have gone to Tahoe or, you know, somewhere with snow right there near us, but the expense is far too much. So New York definitely has like their their base for New York City ends up being this thing that kind of uh, it definitely permeates out into the community surrounding New York. Not everything, not everything that's shot there needs to look like it's in Manhattan. So it's like it's going to end up in different parts of the state where it's Los Angeles is locked. It's desert and forest around it. And there's not, you know, you have to go a distance to get get to the next place. So the majority of work in L.A. happens in L.A. Right. Uh, so I feel like that, I guess that depends on what you, what you enjoy. If you were to choose one right now, I don't know. I'd still pick Miami. Miami is my favorite city Miami? in America. All right. That's well, of course. It's always hot there. It's always nice. Yeah. <laughs> it's always nice. <laughs> I enjoy the, I enjoy the cruise in uh, like the, the Florida cruise are great. Like it's good. It's good film crew bait. I still have a bunch of friends from Florida from back when, you know, like when I, when I graduated, I stayed in Florida for a while and I think for about a year and a half, um, and worked on a bunch of feature films there. And like those crews are fantastic, but the crews are fantastic everywhere. I feel like I don't, I don't think that it's necessarily, I haven't, I haven't like, there's a, yeah, the, the, there, the crews are fantastic everywhere. There's definitely some terrible people mixed throughout the entirety of these great United States. Uh, right? No, but, you're right. But you can run into in some facet everywhere. So I wouldn't say that I saw more of a concentration of it anywhere I've worked so far. I think that it's like. Well, that's good news for Scranton. That's very good news. Now, okay. So uh, Desiree, um, I have the Independent Creative Hub page, which there's a few questions and comments. Uh, I don't know if you want to look at yours and then. Um, We'll do a little bit of that because we'll get into the end of the program. And um, we want to talk about something. And then one more yeah, question. Yeah, so while we're checking our social media channels for questions, I didn't see anything on the NEPA Film Society, but I'll check Mystery Box too. But if this is a question the three of us can answer. Um, what Since it is like five days before Christmas, so oh, happy yeah. holidays to everybody out there. However you celebrate, we wish you the best in, into the new year. Uh, what's your favorite? What's your favorite holiday movie of all time, and why? Who's going first? I mean, I can I, go first. It's fine. You go yeah, first. Yeah. That's right. You break the ice. You do uh, it. My knee-jerk response of my favorite Christmas movie of all time. There's multiples, but the first one that comes to mind is The Polar Express with Tom Hanks, the animated. Um, that's a really beautiful, true classic Christmas story from the book. Um, it's I watch it every year with for Christmas. Um, I do love the prep and landings. If you want to get to something like really new, that's on Disney Plus. I love prep and landing, um, and it's, it wouldn't be Christmas without the classic um, Claymation Rudolph 
um, Santa Claus is Coming to Town, that's a real staple. And I love Charlie Brown Christmas. Um, but you I mean, one. you said well, now you took all my movies. I took over, but <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, with the claymations, I do. I mean, the, I like the claymation Christmas, but there is one that doesn't show up around Christmas, but shows up between Christmas and New Year's. It's Rudolph's Shiny New Year. That's my favorite claymation movie, Rudolph's Shiny New Year. I don't even know what that is. I'm going to find it. You have to look it up. It, it is Rudolph's Shiny New Year. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look it up as well. Yeah. yeah, that won't show up in probably, I mean, I don't know if they still air it on TV, but that doesn't really probably show up until like when you get closer to New Year's. In what channel? It's probably on the usual, like, CBS or something, but I, I actually got it on, I downloaded it on iTunes. It's Rudolph Shiny Year. It's probably on YouTube. <laughs> it's going to be my go-to movie. I'm going to go watch it. Um, so uh, I'll say mine, and then we'll leave uh, Zach at the end. Um, I should really say It's a Wonderful Life for Tony that's watching, you know, but I'm going to say Love Actually. You know, that movie is, is pretty good. I really love it, and it's one of my go-to uh, films when I uh, just want to watch something. Uh, is uh, during the holidays. Uh, of course, there's others, but I won't be like Desiree and name every movie. So go, Zach. <laughs> it's hard for me to pick one. It's just like it depends. <laughs> Listen, Desiree, you said one. You said one. Just kidding. Just kidding. Uh, go ahead, Zach. I've mine's kind of a toss up, but I think they're both going to be relatively odd. So Die Hard, definitely. <laughs> of course. Is Die Hard a Christmas movie or not? I don't think it is. It is a, yeah, it is a Christmas movie. It happens during Christmas. There's a Christmas tree. There's a Christmas tree. It's got holiday cheer. He said Merry Christmas. Christmas at the end. It's wonderful. So that would be that would be my number one. I'm just busting. Actually, I don't know. I feel like they, there's a hard competition in my heart for best Christmas movie of all time, and that's Die Hard is up there. It's right there, and then Gremlins is right next to it. So and like those so are. That would be my two, my two, ah, my two favorites. Very, um, very cool. Uh, okay. Because you're going to see the other ones no matter what. I feel like that's what it is. You're going to see the other ones no matter what. So I don't have to pick one of them as a favorite because it's not, I don't have to force anyone to put them on. But these are two that you have to force people to put on because you're like, <laughs> Christmas time and these are Christmas movies. You're, you're definitely right. And I think they did a, a Die Hard a question was answered a few years ago, right? Whether it's a Christmas movie or not, um, I think people have asked that for years. Like, yeah. if it is or not, <laughs> it's like the you know. <laughs> but okay, so um, we do have some questions. In um, let me see, just pull this up. I'm just gonna go through the comments, and then if there's a question, you can answer. Um, doo -doo 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 -doo, let's see, let's see, let's see. Josh is watching, of course. He says he's watching you. Uh, Michael Patty, uh, Douglas Brownell. Uh, that's, he... that, that's my dad. Oh, okay. Hi, Dad. All right, let's see. Hey. He, he has a question that says, did you draw from life experience for inspiration for your film? Yes, he's asking a question he already knows the answer to. <laughs> uh, but we don't. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I grew up in the North. I was around kind of like, I feel like, you know, I had one grandfather was a mountain man and the other grandfather that was kind of burly and a businessman. And I think I stole most of it from them. I mean, most of the dialogue is straight out of one or the other's mouth. I, I feel like that ends up being the thing. I think grandparents have like an interesting effect on you and then eventually I'll have to make a film that like steals directly from my parents. But, um, but I don't know. They like, 
Yeah. So let's go with granddads. It's a granddads movie. That's the inspiration throughout. And just the general setting of like where I grew up and what the things were that you were doing, you know, like definitely walking, walking around in the woods for a hunting season with, you know, I've, de- I've killed more deer with a car though than I have with a rifle. So um, I've got, I've got, no, I've got you- nine under my belt with a car. Is that why your rifles are on the wall? Yes, that's one from the movie. Oh, top nice. one, and then that is my grandfather's shotgun. So, and it's just like a you know break barrel Davenport. It's not not anything fancy, but it gets a nice spot over there. So, exactly. All right, and I think uh, there was one more question. Hold on, this. Thing. Well, I think Tony has a question too. Yeah, Antonio says that um, CBS has it next week. I'm, I'm yes, yeah, to- CBS. I'm, I'm thinking he was talking about all the films that Desiree was saying, so now I'm gonna watch him. Um, uh, Tony uh, says, "What's your favorite project? What's your favorite project that you worked on? Like, what's your favorite project? I guess if there's one favorite project, I don't know. Tell him that I have to love them all equally. It's unfair to have favorites. Jeez, I don't know. Cause Tony was actually over here, and I was complaining about how much I hate working on music videos, oh, yeah. and okay. and like they're just it's too much of a time crunch, and there's not a whole lot of money put into it for what's expected out of it. So it ends up being like they're really tense. But I uh, had the fun of being able to shoot a little bit and and uh, be the gaffer on a music video uh, by Blackstar called Dear Diamond that was. Uh, like Black Star and Common, like uh, as the yeah the wow. rapping side of it, and like it was a really really fun video, and I loved the project when it came out. Like it was something great to watch. I mean, obviously, Hunting Lands, I'm very very proud of, but this was something where it's you show up for the day, you accomplish something that's unique, and working with like great people. But I think that they're all like that. I mean, there's definitely some projects that I'm not exactly proud of. The way they turned out eventually but i had a great time making them right um, yeah i won't mention any of those films directly because i don't want to like we don't no. want, we don't talk want to bad about anyone's <laughs> yeah um so uh, last question um kind of goes with what you were saying uh oh, where did it go i think it was um it was your mom this right well anyway it said something about uh have you ever uh had uh disagreed with a director's vision and how do you handle that? Uh, like, may, I'm thinking as a camera operator, director of photography. I mean, the only time that I think it's not so, the majority of the time, it's just make it happen. So it's it's like even if you look at something, and you're like, that's not the way that I would do it. It doesn't matter. Make it happen. Um, unless it's a unsafe or b absolutely impossible. So, like, I'll have some people that will send you something where it's, like, here's a scene from 2001 Space Odyssey that has, like, here's the exact picture. I want this to look like this. And then you're in a hallway at a high school, and you're, like, that's this is not, like, the way that these two things are too far separated that, like, you need to think of, A, how you're going to do that. But, B, it's not going to be done by camera. It's going to be done. It's going to be done with production design. It's going to be done with wardrobe. It's going, you know, it's, like, the camera doesn't put anything on screen that isn't there, you know, green screen will. So I guess you could do it all on green screen, but that goes without saying, but it's like the camera captures. It's not, it's not the thing that makes 
the movie happen. That's the actors, that's the wardrobe, that's the production design. That's, you know, that's the lighting that's, you know, and it's, and it's a group of all of them. It's not a thing where you're going to, you're not, you're not going to fake a space station with lighting alone. You know, you're not, you're not going to, you're, mm-hmm. you're not going to look like you're in the woods when you're over behind the Burger King, unless you have a couple of trees to cover up the parking lot. Like right. just teamwork, teamwork. That's good. Yeah. Everyone matters in that uh, sense as far as production. So that's, that's a very good point. So that brings us to, uh, you know, we're pretty much at the end. We always ask uh, filmmakers this question and uh, it's always the same question. What advice will you give to an up-and-coming filmmaker, maybe someone just starting out or maybe someone that's, you know, uh, thinking of getting into this industry? Um, just what, what advice will you give? Maybe something that you wish you knew before or when you first got started. It sounds easy, but it's, it's not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't, yeah, I don't really know. I mean, good advice for a starting filmmaker would be try to get on the, try to get on the big show at least once or twice, you know, like try to go, even if it's straight up like volunteer your time to go out for a day on something, you know, much bigger than what would be available to you to start. Because that way you can see how the machine works in its in its largest form and that kind of shows you like a well-oiled version of a tv show or or a bigger commercial or or a you know like two million plus feature film like it's a different animal entirely and it'll teach you a lot of like the things you do need and the things that you don't need as you're coming up through you're gonna realize that like oh i need to get a friend who wants to do production design and I need them to, you know, have the wonderfulness of being on every production that I do for free because we can't afford anything else, but at least they'll be a part of this thing. And, you know, and so maybe that's it. Just find all the people that are going to help you out and you help them out and, and do that handshake deal and start making stuff. Um, but, but yeah, seeing, seeing the big thing, seeing the way that it works, even if you go and just do it for free or get hired as a production assistant, getting to actually see it, working a it'll let you know if you even want to do that because it's definitely a it's different you know but there's multiple versions of filmmaking that all kind of have their equal facets of something beautiful about them and there's definitely like a bazillion ways to make things and uh as long as you like it that's all uh that's all that really matters in the end you know very very good advice so with that, uh, Desiree will close out, uh, close the program out, and then I'm going to show at the end your work again, and then we'll leave uh, the the end uh, graphic with uh, your website so people can learn more about what you do. Okay. All Thank right. you so much, Zach, for uh, being here. Yeah. Uh, you made our our week our holiday week. Thank you. Well, yeah, thank that's you. Great. Yeah. Yeah, thank you so much, Zach. Merry Merry Christmas, happy holidays, all that madness. Yes, happy holidays to everybody. But yeah, thanks everyone so much for joining us tonight for our Scranton Talks with Zach Wilcox with the Hunting Lands. We have wonderful events coming up into the new year since we're closing out 2021. Um, Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram to stay up to date with what we're doing. And subscribe to our YouTube channel to see any of our previous talks. They'll live right there if you happen to miss our lives. And we do have a podcast that we put these interviews on too. That you can find our podcast on Apple um, Podcasts or Spotify. 
The Independent Film Creative Hub is for you, geared to help filmmakers reach their potential in becoming successful creative artists. Be sure to visit our website, www.ourcreativehub.com, and join our directory. It's completely free to sign up, and I want to take the time to thank everyone for being with us, for starting out back in May with these talks. We're so glad you can be here and follow us, and to all our guests who have been on so far, I want to wish you guys, and Luce wants to wish you all a happy holidays, Merry Christmas, and we can't wait to see what 2022 brings. We definitely cannot wait. I think it's going to be a great, great year. And um, again, we put out this on our own time. Uh, you know, we got people that are willing to come here and share their knowledge. Um, so definitely go out there on the on the website and learn. Um, I mean, really, this is for you. And uh, we're learning as we go. And everybody has a different uh, journey uh, in life as far as being creative. So make sure you don't forget about that, that, you know, sometimes the holidays can be a little gloomy. And you can get a little blue and, and your creative, you know, your creative world seems everywhere. So make sure that uh, you stay positive and you connect with filmmakers because uh, we are the ones that are always working together. You know, uh, we uh, as artists know what we go through. So definitely keep that up. And um, Happy New Year uh, to everyone that has uh, been here and the ones that are going to come uh, next year. And uh, with that, we'll leave you with uh, Zach's um, work. All right. Thank you, Zach. And thank you so much again for joining us on this episode of Scranton Talks. And that's a wrap on our first season for 2021. Thank you so much for coming along with us on this journey. And we hope to see you again soon. Um, 2022 has already started and we have great filmmaking Great filmmakers and interviews lined up already, including our interview with Chloe Bluebell Joyce. She is a very young actress. Um, she has been performing since she was three years old. Chloe has had the pleasure of working on projects for Scranton Films, Gabe's Department Store, Random House, Nickelodeon, The Food Network, HBO, and Amazon Prime. You may catch a glimpse of her on the rise at Coney Island on the newest season of The Marvelous Miss Manzel. Chloe is represented by Jackie Reed of Little Angels and Limited Management. And that was such a fun talk and be sure to check that out and be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram where you can stay up to date on what we have going on for 2022. And be sure to check out our website, www.ourcreativehub.com where you can sign up to our directory for free and connect with filmmakers. It's free for you and we hope you take some time to look through it. And be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel where all our live interviews can be seen and watched if you can't make our lives. And if you happen to want to be a guest on our Scranton Talks episode, feel free to message us on our Facebook page and Instagram. We'll be sure to get in touch with you on the best month in time. But thank you so much for joining us on this awesome journey, and I hope you can still tune in, and we'll see you next time.